while Paul was in Corinth, two people in particular supported him in his mission. They were a Roman couple called Aquila and Priscilla. They weren't Corinthians, they weren't Corinthian natives themselves. So let's meet them as they approach Corinth. It's not far now, though. We're nearly there. We're nearly there. Are you sure? Yeah, can you carry this one? This map's getting heavy. Yeah. It should be here. Just over. Can you manage that? Yeah, I'm fine. Just over the. Oh, just a minute. Sorry. All these tents again. I think that's it. I think that's it over there. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I could just make out some of the buildings clustered together. But how do you know it's Corinth? <laughs> Either that's Corinth or we're very lost. <laughs> now, where have I heard that before? <laughs> okay, you don't have to bring up about Herculaneum again. <sighs> but it still hurts, you know. What? Having to leave her home. Well, you're right, it doesn't seem fair, does it? But when the Emperor decrees it, you're not left with much choice. So, here we are. But I really believe that this is God's plan for us. Yep, yep, I think he has something for us here in Corinth. We just the thought of leaving all our brothers and sisters in Christ. There weren't many of us in Rome, you know, but we were growing in number. And we weren't just growing in number, we were growing in love and faith, and it was so special and really significant to be there. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But who's to say we won't find some believers here? And maybe that's what God has got for us in Corinth. People come from all over the world here to this Mediterranean city to do business, and who knows who we're going to meet? Maybe. Then there's the thought of starting our business all over again. We don't have any contacts in Corinth, you know. Well, we've done it before and we can do it again, I'm sure. God will provide. And besides, they'll always need tech makers, won't they? So come on, let's go. Okay. Can you manage? I'll help. I'll carry the map. <laughs> Let me pray. Father, we thank you for our time together this morning. We ask that you would speak to us through your word and through the things that, that we hear now, that you might encourage and strengthen and, uh, and challenge us too. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as um, Peter said, we have a, an interruption or an interlude in our series from 1 Corinthians while Ben's on holiday. We thought we would travel back, as, as Pete said, to look at the birth of this Corinthian church that Paul's writing this, his heartfelt letter to. And I think it's clear from what we've seen in his letter that he writes from his heart, these people in this church really matter to him. I think it would be fair to say, too, that he's saddened by what he's heard of the, the different factions, the lack of spiritual growth the worldliness of their attitude to leaders, and, and so on. And, and not because he's worried that it reflects badly on his planting of the church, but because he loves these people and he wants them to be 
the people that God has called them to be, people who are living up to their calling. So let's look at how the church began. Paul's visit to Corinth in Acts chapter 18 happened during his second missionary journey. He's traveled about 50 miles from Athens, where he had, as it seems to be the pattern, been preaching in the synagogue to the Jews and and the God-fearing Gentiles who used to go to the synagogues for their teaching. He's also speaking and discussing in the square with the philosophers of the city. And we can read in the end of chapter uh, 17 that some sneered, but some believed. It was ever so. And you might remember when Ben introduced the series, what sort of place Corinth was, an important multicultural city with very significant trading links, um, but also a city known for immorality and idolatry. Maybe there are some uh, similarities with Birmingham today, uh, except we don't get the sea. These 17 verses from Acts give us a very short narrative of the 18 months that Paul spent in the city, what he got up to, what happened to him, and some of the people that he met. We've already been introduced to Aquila and Priscilla, although elsewhere in the Bible, including verse 19 of chapter 18, they're usually referred to as Priscilla and Aquila. I'll leave it there. This passage reminds us that the church at Corinth was made up of real people, like our church, made up of real people. Paul writes his letter two or three years later to real people, many of whom he knew, others he would have heard about. I often say this, but someone from the church in Corinth could be a spiritual ancestor of someone here. Priscilla told someone about Jesus, who told someone, who told someone, who told someone, until eventually it came down to me, perhaps. So how did Paul get on in Corinth? It looks like it was a tough gig, at least in part. He was opposed and abused in the synagogue in verse 6. In a united attack on Paul, he was brought before the proconsul and charged with persuading people to worship God in ways contrary to the law, we read in verse 13. It came to nothing, but it still must have been very tough. So what helped Paul to keep going? And what might keep us going? I've picked out four things from these few verses. Firstly, he was strengthened by people. He wouldn't be strengthened by Priscilla and Aquila, or John and Elsie even. He seemed to meet them quite early on. They were already converts to Christianity from Judaism, and they became friends. He stayed with them. He worked as a tent maker with them to pay his way. And they went on to become traveling companions and ministry co-workers. It must have been such an encouragement to work together with this couple, to know that he wasn't on his own when he was facing opposition in the synagogue, to be able to go back to their house and to share the good times and the bad. 
It's good to minister with other people, to share our lives with other people, to do stuff together. It's one of the ways that we can be strengthened by God to keep on serving. So who are we partnering with as we live out God's calling? Who are the people that we're being strengthened by? Paul was also visited by Silas and Timothy. And how encouraging that must have been to have these visitors come to meet to see him and see how he was getting on. And they didn't come empty-handed, which brings me to our second point. Paul was strengthened by practical provision, by generosity even. In verse 5 we read, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching. It's not obvious in that verse, but from other letters it seems that these two brought with them a financial gift from the churches of Macedonia, and that gift enabled Paul to preach full-time rather than having to fund himself by doing his tent-making part-time. It freed him up to use his gifts. And that, no doubt, encouraged him and helped him to keep going. We see practical provision from Titius Justus, though I noticed Susan called him Titius, which probably sounds a lot better, and it's going to ruin my joke in a minute. (laughs) Again, it's not clear exactly what that practical help looked like, but we read then, after the opposition, Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. The likelihood is that, um, well, let's just call him Justus, so it sounds more like a sermon and less like a carry-on Corinth movie. (laughs) Sorry. I'm not impersonating Ben, I'll just say. It is likely that Justus was one of Paul's Gentile converts from the synagogue, and he opened up his home for Paul to teach and preach in as an alternative to the synagogue. That must have really helped him and helped him to keep going. In my experience, the impact of practical provision can be so much bigger than the gift. Years ago, I'm not sure many people here will remember it. I know Janet was involved, actually. But years ago, in the old building, I'd signed up to help with a a summer children's holiday club. I'd been given the job of making the refreshments. It was a joint holiday club with St. Stephen's, and a, a lot of people had been involved in the planning and the preparation, and I'd bought the biscuits. But just about a week before it was due to start, the person who headed up the team pulled out. The team had an emergency meeting, and and although lots of work had been done and and lots of effort had been put in, there was talk of cancelling it because nobody felt able to take on the leadership role. So I offered to do it. In actual fact, there wasn't a huge amount of work to do. I just needed to encourage and help and support the people who'd already done the work and find somebody to give out my biscuits. (laughs) After a manic week of getting things sorted, we were ready to go. After the first session, somebody from St. Stephen's 
turned up in the afternoon at my house with a shepherd's pie for me and my family. It was a great shepherd's pie, but it was an even greater gift. I was tired. I was exhausted from from having kind of moved from this position to this position in such a a short period of time. And it meant I didn't have to cook. It encouraged me and strengthened me to keep going, not just on a physical level, but on a spiritual level. And it felt like affirmation from God too. So maybe if you've had a thought to do something practical to help someone as they live out their Christian lives and service, why not act on it? You might find that you're being a messenger of encouragement from God himself. God often encourages people through people. But sometimes he speaks direct. And my third point in in verses 9 and 10, we read how one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. It might be obvious, but to me, it seems unlikely that God's going to say, do not be afraid to someone who's not afraid or someone who's not going to be facing a very frightening situation very soon. Paul must have felt fear. We often forget that when we read his letters. Fear that could have shut him up or made him move on but it didn't. God strengthened him himself through this vision, through these words. Don't be afraid. Keep going. I am with you. These words are in the vision, but they're also scattered throughout the Bible. It's commonly stated, it is a favorite of preachers, isn't it, to say that do not be afraid or do not fear is in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. The exact words, I am with you, according to Bible Gateway, are only in there 23 times. But it's fair to say that the sentiment can be found in many, many other verses. These words aren't just for Paul. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I think we get a glimpse of Paul's reliance on God to do what God had asked him to do in this passage. It wasn't his own bravado, his own personality, his own charm that made him effective. It was his dependence on God. And sometimes that dependence came from a place of fearfulness. Strength made perfect in weakness. Just because we're fearful, it doesn't mean that we can't do what God is asking of us. It's speculation maybe, but I think it would have taken great courage for Paul to write what he wrote to the church in Corinth two or three years later. It certainly isn't, I think we've seen this, a warm, fuzzy letter, but it's the letter that God gave him to write And maybe it helped the church in Corinth as they wrestled with living out their Christian faith. 
And maybe as we look through that letter with Ben, maybe that same letter is going to help this church in Selly Park to continue to grow in love, faith, knowledge and service of the God who called them into his kingdom. I'm not sure I fully understand the last part of the vision that Paul had where God says, I have many people in this city. I mean, depending on how you read it, it could sound quite threatening, couldn't it? I have many people in this city. Sounds a bit more like the mafia. But I'm going to use it because it provides a tenuous, if not quite poor link to my fourth point. My fourth thought of what strengthened Paul to keep on going was the fact that he saw fruit. He was strengthened by seeing fruit, by seeing people come to faith, many people in that city. In verse 3, we read that Crispus, the synagogue leader, and all his household believed in the Lord. You might remember from our first um, chapter, first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul saying that he baptized Christmas, Christmas, Crispus. And I love it when he goes on to say, I can't remember if I baptized any others, because that's where I'm at. Not with the baptism, but with everything else. So we read there that he had baptized Christmas. Crispus. But we go on to read that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Maybe he was also strengthened by the opposition, knowing that opposition was the place from which he'd come to faith as an opposer of the Christians. He'd been quite adamant that, uh, that they should be destroyed, and yet God met him in that place. So maybe that was an encouragement too. But whatever was happening, he saw fruit from his life. He saw people come to faith and grow. He knew that God was using him and he was making a difference. God wants to use each and every one of us to bring about his kingdom purposes. And I wonder if sometimes we are blind to the ways in which God has used us. We don't notice the difference that we've made. I also wonder if sometimes we miss being fruitful because we don't act on the prompt that he gives us or because we are doing good works in our own strength and are not empowered or led by the Spirit. Or maybe we're looking for apples, but God is actually growing pears. We think we're exercising a gift that we think we've got, whereas actually God is using us in other ways and with a different gift. So, four ways in which Paul was strengthened to keep going the support of companions to work with, the blessing of unexpected provision, the encouragement of the truth of God's word and the fruit of God working through him. How are you being strengthened to live out your life of faith? Who are your Priscilla and Aquila? 
and he's off again. Doesn't stay for long, does he? No. Why? God bless you. God bless you on your journey. Farewell, Brother Paul. I wonder if we'll see him again before the Lord returns. Who knows? But now we've got a new job here in Ephesus to do. Our purpose is clear. It's not like all those years ago when we first arrived in Corinth. We didn't know who we'd meet, how our business would go. But praise God, it all worked out. The business worked out well. Praise God, he led us to Paul. Praise God that we were able to learn so much from him. Praise God that he did so much in Corinth. Not that there isn't still plenty to do in that city. There always seemed to be a problem to deal with, didn't there? But that's not our problem. That's not our problem now. We've got a job to do in Ephesus, and that's clearly what God's given us to do. Yeah, there's a, a small group of brothers and sisters in Christ here to look after. And who knows who God will bring to us to add to their number? Who knows?